When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst for Griffith Tech, alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins. And Drew, for a college football slate that was supposed to be one of the worst of all time. How about this? Colorado, Colorado State, the fifth most watched college football game of all time. I stayed up till 1 a.m. Central Time watching that game, and I was just I don't know. It, it was like adrenaline. I wanted to go to sleep like two hours ago. I was playing it on the couch. Wife was out of town. I was exhausted. Game was entertaining. That game delivered. But Drew, I mean, Boston College takes Florida State to the wire. I mean, it, it ended up being a lot more of an exciting weekend than I thought. No, about you, man. I enjoyed it. Did you finish the Colorado game? Because I fell asleep watching it on my phone in bed. I don't I can't remember if I made it to the second overtime, but I woke up with like the phone in my hand. Um I bet Morgan loved that. I was she knew, I was, she knew what I, she was getting into. I was up in Orlando, so I was uh I was solo, but it was the same thing. Like I it has turned into must-watch TV and you just felt like Colorado was going to win once it got to overtime. Um but I had to watch and, and I woke up and I'm like, Oh, I guess Colorado won. Were you in HQ? Uh, were you on HQ in Orlando? I was, I got a video from my wife. who was back home in Louisiana. She was at a restaurant that had HQ on and she saw you, you came up and she said, what's going on with Andrew's backdrop? And I said, I guarantee you he's not home. He's probably in Orlando right now. It's a remote site. I was, I was, I was talking high school football. I was uh, I went to see LJ McCray in Daytona Beach, also Orlando Jones, Orlando Edgewater. Um, but yes, need to work on the remote backdrop. That's in the Hater, works. Haters were coming after you a little bit there. Hey, LJ McCray, before we get into uh, Team of the Week, Freshman of the Week, like we do every Tuesday, LJ McCray, Drew, you have long been a fan of. What were your thoughts after seeing him this weekend? Oh man, he was as good as. I thought he could be um, an LJ McCray for those not familiar. He's our number 37 player in the rankings, six foot six, 260 pound defensive lineman. Florida's after him. Miami's after him. FSU's after him. Georgia's after him. Auburn's after him. Um, this kid has everything you want in a point of attack player. But the big question was 
after totaling just three sacks in 15 games as a junior, hey, could he turn it on? I thought he started to show that back in the spring. I was at his spring game, and then this past Saturday, and really what was, excuse me, Friday, his most difficult matchup of the season, going up against Solomon Thomas, a, a 2025 we like. He dominated. Um, bend, explosion, first step had a few moves, a nice a nice spin move. I mean, Solomon Thomas, I think, had two holding penalties and a false start in the first quarter, and that really set the tempo. So number 37 for us right now, I wrote on Monday, he's probably going to be a five-star when we update the rankings. And um, a guy that I, I'm surprised more schools aren't like trying to get involved, uh, but he seems pretty set on those five. And he, he told me, hey, like, I don't have a bad option here. These recruitments are really interesting to me with the new wave of college football. Like what I mean by that is, Drew, we're going to have to go back and look through the stats. You've been keeping track of this. What are we, 92, 93% of the top 247 already committed, right? Yeah, I need a, I need a counter on my desk. Yeah, I, I think we need, I, we need to do that every episode. Point being, for the 7% still out there, think about a guy like LJ McCray. And think about the programs that you talked about coming after him. Florida. Florida State, Georgia, and whoever else. All those programs are what I like to call aligned. You can read the tea leaves here, right? What I mean by that is that they, they have a strong NIL operation. If you're LJ McCray, you play the way that you've played as a senior. And we feel this guy could have like a Jordan Hall type of ascension that Jordan Hall had last year into the top 15. This is where you want to be. I don't know if it's 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 – I'm assuming it's not strategic, but think about this. Everybody is done. Everybody has 25, 26, 27 guys committed. LJ McCray is the cherry on top. All that energy, all those resources are going to be poured into one guy. And what better to be than a point of attack player in need in the state of Florida? I mean... I know this is you're bringing this up with LJ McCray, right? You're absolutely right, but this also applies to I think really any point of attack player. Like, man, if you if you roll the dice and you bet on yourself and you wait and wait and wait, you're going to have opportunities that you never thought you would have previously. We've seen it with this early signing period, right? There's just not a lot of big individuals that are athletic walking around the face of the earth and. If you have a decent senior season, you know, some schools are going to miss out on some guys. And then all of a sudden, you might be a guy who, who thinks he's going to play in the back end of the Power Five. And now you got opportunities from uh, the best of the best because you are the, the best looking at, at last call, you know. So I, I always try to not like advise parents, but sometimes you'll get individuals asking about hey what should we do with the recruiting process and i'm sometimes i'll tell them hey if you wait this thing out you're gonna have plenty of opportunities a lot of opportunities indeed guys we're, we're working on going to a video format here at some point no idea when that's going to be but i wish it was today because <laughs> if it was today you'd see andrew in a tank top the pat mcafee vibes are super strong drew did you get a lift in this morning i did but I had to clean the house, so this was the first shirt I could uh, I could find. Um, how to walk the dog, clean the house. This is this is the only shirt I could find. This uh, tank top. You are more productive than me by 10 a.m. Eastern time than I am by 
5 o'clock Central. It's a gift, man. It's a gift. All right, teams of the week. Should we get into it, Drew? Yeah, let's 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 go. Can I start? Yeah, I'm going to tee you up. Actually, you, since you already teed up yourself, why don't you go ahead? I'm going with Florida. And disclaimer, I was in the swamp on Saturday night, and it was loud. I think Billy Napier and some of the coaches have come out and said, like, the crowd certainly played a factor in that game, and I thought it did. Um, Cooper, we touched on it last week. Billy needed this one, and I think the Gators played exactly how they needed to play in terms of game plan, execution. I don't think there was many procedural penalties that I can recall, but just taking advantage of mistakes, building an early lead, and getting that win. Now, we'll see how good Tennessee is, um, but I I was kind of running my mouth to, to, some, to some Florida fans. Like, this is Joe Milton's first start in a hostile environment, and I thought he looked kind of rattled at times. They, they were struggling to get the plays in. You know, he, he had a big shot early in the game, which which got them a touchdown, connected on a deep ball again later on. But I thought Florida, just what what they did was what they needed to do. And Graham Mertz, excellent. What was he, 19 to 24, 166 yards, one touchdown. I mean, he never really pushed the ball down the field, but Florida made it work. Only one play over 20 yards. Coop, I, I don't know if you saw any of the game, but Eugene Wilson, I, like Florida came out and was basically said, we're going to get this guy as many touches as we can. He had like six catches for 44 yards on the first two drives, and then he ends up getting dinged up. But he looked good, and uh, I, I just thought it was a, a huge win for the Gators. And that recruiting section there inside the swamp, I mean, was was loaded with, with blue chippers. And uh, Billy, Billy certainly needed this one. Couple things on the Joe Milton because Lance and I, I don't know if it was much of a conversation. Producer Lance brought up if Joe Milton continues to struggle, what are the what are the chances we get to see Nico Emilieva? It's a fair question. I thought Joe Milton did not play his best. I also th- think that he was not the problem. I thought there were a lot of things that you could point to for Tennessee that kind of stuck out. I thought their inability to run the ball, especially in the first half, kind of stuck out to me. That first drive is so much of what Tennessee wants to be. Up-tempo, ball out quick, take your shots, keep the defense off balance. The other thing, the biggest difference between Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker is Tennessee's offense is built on timing and accuracy. And anticipation, if you want to throw that in there. We talk about that all the time when it comes down to the tangibles of the quarterback, really kind of what what's the formula, right? And when you don't have that, there are going to be some issues. And Joe Milton, from an accuracy standpoint, he can blow you away with his arm, right? He can throw the ball 70 yards in the field. Dude, he, he threw one. I think I was counting from the stands. I thought it was 65 yards in the air. Does it pretty effortlessly, too. So with that being said... I would say that Joe Milton, I, Lance, after thinking about it, I think it does start to creep into the mind a little bit. But I don't think this is like Joe Milton's on a super short leash here. Now, if this 
continues to happen over the next two, three games. I went back. I watched Nico's snaps against UVA because I, I was intrigued by that. The other thing about Nico, I'll tell you, he's super special in terms of his ability to extend plays within the pocket. And I remember making the comparison to Bryce Young. They're completely different from a body type standpoint, but in terms of the way that they move and are able to extend plays, super flexible, super athletic. I think that's a unique trait. And I still think Nico has got a ways to go. Now, that being said, like Tennessee won, what, 11 games last season? Right? Beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Joe Milton was the quarterback in that game. Fast forward a year, Tennessee still has everything they want in front of them, in my opinion. So I don't think it's, hey, you know, we've seen what we need to see in a tough environment. And Andrew, you brought up the point. That's really Joe Milton's first road test. I, I, I think th- it, it, would, it, would, it would have been a difficult call to the bullpen, right? <laughs> I mean, just dropping Nico in there I, in that in that game for sure. And I I don't think that was ever something that was really thought out. I, I don't think Nico was ever an option in that game. Now, do they do they start trying to maybe get him some run here when they can, if they can afford it? For sure, I would think so. And if I was Josh Heupel, I'd want to see that too. But. Now, Joe Milton's a talented quarterback. I think as a coach, you got to find a way to put him in a better position to succeed. Now, this is we don't have to have this conversation now, but my whole theory behind that argument, Cooper, was that not Milton struggles, which he obviously did against Florida, but I think he's played pretty well for most of the season so far, granted, small sample. But I think Tennessee's ceiling with Joe Milton is like, let's say, nine and three. Right. So would you rather go nine and three with Joe Milton this year or put in Nico, not against Florida, but like moving forward and go say seven and five, get those bumps and bruises out of the way this season so that next season you have a Nico with experience ready to go, ready to compete for that SEC East title. Coaches don't don't (laughs) think like that. Exactly. They just don't. Personnel guys do. For sure, because I remember having the same conversations at UW about some young quarterbacks, and they look at you like you got twelve eyes. You know, it's just not the way they think. They they want to go out, put their best product on the field, and win as many games as possible. Can I can I give you my take on uh, on what I think is the issue with Tennessee's offense? I mean, yes, Brew McCoy's there. You got Squirrel White Keaton. I, I just. I think they kind of lacked some playmakers and maybe Milton didn't put those guys in the position. And then the tight end position, you know what? I think their tight end caught one pass, like never felt like a threat really. And I think when you look at Florida's defense, that's an area where you can kind of take advantage from a matchup standpoint. I, I think Tennessee's just lacking those guys on offense. And I believe a few offensive linemen were out as well. Coop, let me ask you this because one of my, not one of my favorite things, but I always love reading different reactions from fan bases after after losses. Um, Josh Eipel, you know, his first two years at, at UCF, that offense was putting up big numbers. Year three, took a step back. First two years uh, in Knoxville, offense lighting up the scoreboard. They take a step back now. Obviously, changing quarterbacks 
but do you subscribe to the theory that it gets much harder as the conference identifies trends and different personnel groupings, plays, and, and whatnot? Yeah, the other thing people don't realize, people start recruiting to their division, right? Florida says, hold on, we got to play Tennessee every year. All right, the defensive backs we bring in, Corey Raymond is going to start looking at those guys a little bit differently. Like in terms of, okay, maybe Cedric Tillman and maybe Jalen Hyatt are out, but two years from now we got to go against Nathan Leacock and Braylon Staley and Mike Matthews, uh, Mike Matthews and uh, Ethan Davis. How are we going to defend these guys? What's your answer? Well, it starts with like guys like Jordan Castell, Jakeem Jackson, right? You start building your roster to defend a certain type of archetype within your division and within your conference, because ultimately at the end of the day, that's who you're going to have to go through to reach your goals. On Heupel, what's interesting to me is I would have loved to know who who was his quarterback at UCF those first two years and who was it the third. And maybe it was the same quarterback, maybe it wasn't. It but I do here. think I do think there is a drop off, considerable drop off between Hinnon Hooker, Joe Milton. I think Hinnon Hooker was the perfect fit for that offense. Not to mention the two guys that you had on the perimeter. And Tillman and Jalen Hyatt are both legit NFL guys now. I'll say this on Tennessee, and then we can move on. Didn't know we'd go here. I, I think we're going to talk 2024 quarterbacks later this week. But having watched, I've watched two of Jake Merklinger's games, who is Tennessee's commit. I don't know, man. I think he kind of fits what Tennessee wants to do because of exactly what you said, his ability to create extend plays he can run some rpos you know maybe he doesn't have the rocket launcher for the arm but he protects the football hasn't thrown an interception this season i don't know my my outlook has changed on jake merkelinger and that in that system um so something to just marinate on tennessee was without what starting center starting guard this week one of them yeah one of Uh, them and then like some guy was a game time scratch so offensive line was a little beat up the other thing I'll say is Tennessee might take a step back this year. Overall, long-term on Tennessee, I'm still buying stock because I think Nico's the guy that makes it go. And then in terms of what they've done perimeter talent-wise, they're continuing to load up there. And guess what? Their defense might not be where they want it to be right now, but they got a lot of talent coming in. I think Tennessee's going to be okay. I got a big up arrow on that program. Coop, Josh, uh, Josh Heupel's quarterbacks, or at least in 2019, 2020, for some reason, their team site doesn't have the 2018 stats. Dylan Gabriel, 2019 and 2020, to answer that question. Well, who was, who was you said there was a drop off in year three, right? Well, 2020 was year three for Heupel. Okay. And then he took over in 2021. 2019 and 2020 were Gabriel. I looked at their website. They didn't have the individual stats up for 2018, but 2019 and 2020 was Dylan Gabriel. So another guy that kind of perfectly fits that system. It was Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel, and then Dylan Gabriel's again. There you go. I feel like we're running a little bit long on this game, but I have some other thoughts as well. Graham Mertz, how about this stat? Graham Mertz is now 15 and one as a starter in his career when he does not throw an interception. 
insane because I don't even know what his overall record is as a starter. But I know it's he's got some blemishes on there. 19-24, Drew, like you said, 166 and a touchdown. I mean, you talk about like time of possession, ball control, balanced offense, running back by committee, ETN, Montrell Johnson. I like what Florida did. Here's the thing that I'd worry about in Florida. I thought they played the second half not to lose. And I thought there was some some openings there for Tennessee if they would have executed. Got down in the red zone a couple of times, got stiffed. A couple bad officiating uh, uh, blunders there too. That stuff's got to get called out when it happens. But it was the it was the um gosh, they Tennessee was trying to go tempo, second half, red zone, I believe. Yeah, didn't the official kick the ball or something? I have no idea. But it's like that can't happen, you know, and, and Hypo was actually pretty poised on that. But um, here's the other thing. I know we're going to talk about him later. I watch Eugene Wilson. Great thing about PFF Ultimate is you can go and watch every play of every snap of any player in college football. And the good thing is they got these guys cut up. So if Eugene Wilson plays 20 snaps, but only six of those snaps he was targeted, you can just watch the targets. And that's what every every pass play that he was involved in, I went back and I watched. They got him involved early. A couple uh, of jet sweep motions. Outside of that, I mean, kind of plays like a veteran. He's just got a feel. There's nothing spicy there. Kind of found the soft spot in the zone a couple of times. Got lost in traffic. Tennessee got... Um, Lost him a few times on the sideline. Graham Mertz found him. He's pretty um, – Drew, you you see him as a route runner? That guy looks like he's been doing that for a long time. Which is crazy, Coop, because the first time I ever wrote about Eugene Wilson, he was playing DB at a seven-on-seven tournament at UCF and coming across the field making interceptions. I'm like, who are you? He had to have been like a sophomore or junior at the time. And he, he really wasn't getting a ton of run on offense. So now fast forward for three, four years, and he's got that that tempo as a route runner, changes speeds, not just a one-gear guy. Uh, hopefully Florida gets him back because I think he's going to be a key figure moving forward. Visitors at this game for Florida, it is a recruiting show. LJ McCray, who we talked about, DJ Lagway, four-star quarterback commit, Drew, you got on here just IMG Academy, so I'm assuming there was a ton of <laughs> IMG Academy guys. Antoine Hill, who's involved with Colorado right now, Ryan Montgomery. Drew, I want to talk a little bit about DJ Lagway. I got to watch him yesterday. And I'm not I'm not going to go say anything to make anybody angry. Holy smokes, was I impressed with him this season. Good thing about DJ Lagway is arrow continues to just go up. What are you with? 55 to 67% from a Sophomore to junior year, he's at 73% right now. The other thing about him, we all knew he was a good athlete, right? Three-sport, multi-sport guy, legit baseball guy. Dude, he can move. You go look at the GPS numbers, over 20 miles per hour there. Like, I think the legs are going to be a big part of what he does. And then the tape, NFL throw after NFL throw. He's got some things he's got to work out in terms of getting through his progressions, not eyeing down receivers, but in just, like if you're just looking at the clay. You know what's crazy about him, Drew? I feel like our relationship with DJ Lagway has just been a 
a roller coaster. So I get on the bus, get off the bus, get on the bus, get off the bus. No, no, no. If it was a roller coaster, we would have reacted to his Elite 11 performance and moved him down, but we did not. Roller coaster, bad analogy. But if it is a roller coaster, one that we've stayed on the entire time. Okay, yeah. We're strapped in, front row. (laughs) So a lot to like there. If you're a Florida fan, get excited about him. All right, before we get to my team of the week, just a reminder, make sure to subscribe to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Everything you need for college football recruiting right here. That is the podcast. Subscribe to the show. Make sure to leave a review as well. Mailbag Wednesdays, that's a place to ask a question. We appreciate you guys getting involved. We'll get some updated stats on you guys in terms of downloads by the end of the show. Producer Lance will be on that. We're aiming for a million. It's what we want, so we need your help to get there. All right, Drew, team of the week for me, South Alabama. Kane Womack, LEO, love each other, right? That's what it's all about down there in Mobile. They beat Oklahoma State 33-7 in Stillwater. They're coming off a 10-3 and season the year before. Won the New Orleans Bowl. 395 yards of total offense, stats and research, thanks to my boy Andrew Ivins. 243 on the ground. This is a stat, right? Third down, you got to get off the field. Oklahoma State was 4-15 on third down. Kane Womack, now 17-11, and 11, the prior three years at USA. That program only won nine games. Signed an extension in 2022. Drew, were you with me in Mobile last year for Alabama-Mississippi? I was not, but I knew they, I know they have a new IPF. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you put South Alabama here, but this is really Kane Womack. Well, here's the thing I will say. Dude, they got some things going in Mobile. Facility-wise, beautiful stadium, Hancock-Whitney there. Indoor as well. Or if you want to call it covered indoor, that's fine. It's like a, it's like one of those things from gym class. I don't know if they had them. They haven't been floor. It's like a pavilion. They're starting to become a lot more popular, I feel like. UAB's got one. Point being, dude, they got some dudes there. Every time I go through South Alabama's class, it's like, okay. Who are the guys, right? These are some guys that should be playing Power 5 football. You don't beat a team like Oklahoma State unless you got a roster full of some guys that can do some different things. Kane Womack, hey, Michigan State, we'll talk about them later in the show. Mel Tucker out with cause. Calling this dude up, right? Here's the thing. When I say this, when I when I talk about, like, this guy will get a call, I mean, like, if you're a smart AD, you're making the phone call. And then after the conversation, you're deciding, all right, we're going to bring this guy on campus, give him an in-person interview. That's all I'm saying. Kane Womack, to me, had some time at Indiana. He's been in the Big Ten. Give him a shout. So I looked at where Kane Womack, his backstory, and I don't know how we ended up here, but... I think if there's some openings that would make sense for him, or I should say potential openings. Started off his playing career at Arkansas, Sam Pittman, just lost BYU. Uh, you mentioned Indiana, Leo, Tom Allen there. I don't know. I, I think you're ahead of the curve here, Cooper, in terms of his name's going to get thrown ar- around a lot. And I looked into that 2022 extension. I don't think they're paying him that much i mean they're doing as much as they can but someone's gonna be able to swoop in right it's just gonna be about buyout at that point right 
So South Alabama, pat on the back. And we can't go to the next part of the show. Rutgers won this weekend, in case uh, listeners out there didn't know. They beat Virginia Tech. Big game this week against Michigan. We'll talk to uh, producer Lance at the end. We'll get his thoughts before we get into that game. All right, Drew, freshman of the week. This one was a little bit of a uh, not who you picked, but I'm surprised we're here week three of the season. A little bit of a stunner for me, I got to admit. Tree. How do you say his last name? I just, Babalade. I just, Babalade. Babalade. Offensive tackle at South Carolina. So I did not know he had started. I was driving Saturday afternoon. And by the way, you know you know what one of the best things of college football that is still out there? With all this NIL, conference realignment, one of the, the pleasures of college football still is home radio broadcasts. If you get a radio broadcast with that team's affiliated announcers, man, they just live and die with the team. <laughs> it's just different, man. Dude, I just inject <laughs> that into me. I, we, we, were, we were listening to the Florida State game when Boston College was coming back. I don't know the, the, the color guy who the announcer was. I mean, he was, he was losing it uh, on the team and then got the South Carolina game. I, I think South Carolina goes down and, and scores that touchdown. And whoever the play-by-play voice is, I'd some remark, uh, this is the SEC. We're the South Carolina Gamecocks. We're not some ball state. And I and they cut to commercial. I mean, I was I was cracking up. Um, but right when you te- so I get in front of a TV for this the South Carolina Georgia game and, and South Carolina's winning and, and you texted it in one of our chats, hey, is Trayvon Baugh and they're getting some snaps up front, and he's another true f- freshman offensive lineman. I had no idea Tree started at at, at left tackle for the Gamecocks. He was Chris Hummer's. Freshman of the week for 24-7 sports. Had a 90 pass blocking grade from PFF. Played 61 snaps. That 90 pass blocking grade, fourth best among all college football offensive tackles in week three. Shane Beamer, after the game, said he gave us a chance. Uh, Tree didn't allow a sack and gave up just one pressure. So shout out to him. And Coop, do you remember the recruitment? It was a South Carolina Maryland battle down the stretch. Those two schools were going at it in December. And Shane Beamer, I believe, FaceTime tree from a tree in his front yard to kind of seal the deal. Um, so cool backstory there. I think this is huge for South Carolina. The offensive line is clearly a major issue. And the fact that the Gamecocks decided to just pull the cord on some of the veterans and transfers they brought in, roll out the youth in Tree and Trayvon Baugh. Like, I'd be fired up if I was a South Carolina fan. Is South Carolina going to see a, a a more difficult front this season? I guess maybe Clemson later on. Um, but I, I think that's big for the Gamecocks and the future of that program. I don't know how many times Georgia got to Rattler in that game. I'm going to have to go and look that up. Georgia had one sack. All season coming into that game through two games, it was a, it was a little bit uh, misleading, right? Because they had only given up ten points, so you can't really knock them for that. But you know, the guy that I was kind of like honed in on was Michael Williams. I got to watch a little bit of uh, Tree Babalade this morning. He doesn't even know what he's doing yet. 
but there's a reason they call him tree right and here's the thing i remember drew last year there were some conversations do we put him in the top 247 do we not is he technically refined enough when it comes to offensive linemen you cannot teach big and you can't teach athleticism 65 and a quarter 307 with a 6 foot 10 wing and a 485 shuttle and 36 and a half inch arms you can't teach it and what you can't teach also shows up on film. He can anchor. You're going to have a hard time playing through him. And he's a good enough athlete where you're going to have a hard enough time getting around him. Here's where it also helps South Carolina. They continue to recruit the DMV. Who do they got out of there? Dylan Stewart. I think Nicholas Harbor played nine snaps. I didn't get my dream matchup with Malachi Starks. But now Shane Beamer. And the rest of that staff can go on the recruiting trail and be and basically have the pitch, hey, we're gonna play true freshmen. I mean, they could have easily just rolled out the same guys, but they didn't. And I'm sure Tree's gonna have some some peaks and valleys through the rest of the season. But to me, this is signaling, hey, he's a little ahead of schedule. And I think that again is a is huge for South Carolina. And they've recruited better than what they've had. And they got to let these young guys play and get experience. Different situation. But I agree with you. I'm all on board about that. Here's the all other right, thing. Me. Smoke Dixon, former general manager of Maryland Terps under Mike Loxley, now a member of 24-7 Sports, would love to have him on this pod to talk about the random rivalry of Maryland and South Carolina on the recruiting trail. Just makes zero sense to me. Dude, they need to play in a bowl game. Make that happen. <laughs> All right. Freshman of the week for me. A couple different reasons. Dante Moore. North Carolina Central. All right. So, grain of salt. Take it with the whole salt shaker if you want. 8 of 12, 182 yards, two touchdowns. UCLA wins 59 to 7. They haven't played anybody. UCLA ranked number 22. They got Utah this weekend. And guess what? This is just one of those games you see coming from a mile away that you're like, Dante Moore goes into Salt Lake and UCLA wins this game. It's like, all right, here he is, national radar, national spotlight. The ones who know, know. The ones who don't, don't. And then all of a sudden, I love to say it's a piggyback world we live in. And all of a sudden, Dante Moore is going to be the guy after Caleb Williams leaves for the NFL in Los Angeles. That's going to be the guy. And Drew? You turn on that tape, you turn on San Diego State tape, 17 to 27 the week before. He does not look like a freshman. We said Dante Moore and Jackson Arnold are the two most day one ready quarterback prospects in the cycle last year in 2023. They have proved that through three weeks of the season. And I would not be shocked if UCLA goes into Salt Lake and wins that game against Utah. This dude, you talk about poise, Andrew, and they've done a good job protecting him. He's different. He's a he's a different, different cat, different dude. He's played a lot of football. His eyes don't get too big. To me, don't be shocked if Dante Moore announces himself to the college football world this weekend. I expect him to do it. I'm glad you highlighted him 
because that game wasn't even like really on my radar now have to watch on Saturday and I'm we'll get into that slate later in the week but I'm fired up to see it one of my buddies at the gym this morning is a big UCLA guy he was talking about Dante Moore and uh I was just kind of reliving the recruitment I mean he kind of fell in UCLA's lap and I don't Coop I don't know why this like performance sticks with me but the OT7 finals two years ago out in Las Vegas, I believe that he played for Cam Newton's team and they they won. But it was just the poise. And I know it's seven on seven and all that stuff. Like, I don't think a ball touched the ground Sunday during elimination play. And he just doesn't make mistakes. So I, I, I'm glad you highlighted him. And just like with Kane Womack, I think you're going to be ahead of the curve here. You're calling your shot. He's got like Bryce Young type of feel to him. Not talking about the player, talking about the individual. It's never too big. He's played a ton of football. He's played a ton of football at a high level. This is, he threw a this nine is... route last week, I think, to J. Michael Sturdivant that you go back and you're like, oh, that ball's really not well thrown. And Sturdivant starts inside the numbers, and it ends up balls uh, ends up being thrown just inside the pylon. And you're talking about like an ability to throw the receiver open, right? Like we talk about anticipation, these type of things. If Sturdivant carries that route, there's no real estate. So throw it to where your receivers got a little bit more room to navigate. Did that. Guess what? There are a lot of other throws on tape that he's made through three weeks of the season to prove that he's the guy, too. I'm excited about that game. So, team of the week for Ivans, Florida. Team of the week for Cooper, South Alabama. Tree Babalade as well, getting some love from Andrew. Dante Moore for Cooper. Honorable mentions. Right. Yeah, freshman honorable mentions. We, we don't have to talk about Eugene Wilson. We already, uh, we already went in depth there, but I, I want to ask you about Whit Weeks, I thought you were going to go with him. I, I know you were watching the LSU game on on Saturday while in studio. For those not familiar, top two, four, seven linebacker last cycle. Saw him in the All-American Bowl there in San Antonio. Tell me what he did. Dude, they're missing a guy like him. Like they need him. And here's the thing. You brought it up with Shane Beamer. What I admire about LSU, what I don't understand about LSU, I feel like LSU's got to get slapped around week one for whatever reason to wake up. I'm not even talking about the team. I'm talking about that coaching staff. You know, first the Harold Perkins stuff, and then all of a sudden now we're playing Zalance Hurd. Now we're playing Whit Weeks. Now we're getting some of these younger guys out there. I'm going to say it, Drew. I'm going to call my shot on this. If I had to pick a team right now to win the national championship, I'd pick LSU. Oh It's not okay. a Homer thing. I'm just saying. So let me get into Whit Weeks, and then we'll circle back on that. All right. Well, let me don't don't let me forget this this point that I want to bring up just about freshmen and and where we are in 2023. So go ahead. Whit Weeks played well. Eight tackles, 41, 14. This guy can do a little bit of everything. He can run. He can cover. He's strong at the point of attack. He's instinctive. There are a couple times where he kind of got caught flat-footed a little bit, kind of got ate up in traffic, pass play down the field that should have been completed, that he was trailing behind a little bit. 
he's only going to get better, right? And the more you play, the more you kind of start to understand the game and it starts to slow down a little bit more. And that scar tissue kind of builds up. I like Whit Weeks. I think this is a guy they needed to step up outside of Harold Perkins. And I think Greg Penn, more of a traditional guy, is what he is, high floor, adequate, not going to win you the game, not going to lose you the game either. Wood Weeks is a positive for this LSU team. How about this? The other part, his brother's on that team, a couple years say, older than him. Yeah, came Same from position. Virginia. Younger and brother getting some run. Dad played at O-line at Georgia. But what I remember on Weeks is, I mean, like he didn't play a ton of linebacker at some point in high school. He was wide receiver, running back, returning kicks. And I, I think he's just really kind of settled in on the defensive side of the ball over the past two years. Um, Coops, something I was thinking about, and we're, we're seeing all this parody in, in college football. I, I think it's with the transfer portal and what your thoughts on this. You have to have freshmen ready to go. Like we are entering that era. You're you're only going to be as good as your backups. And with so many players moving, you're not going to have a choice but to play the freshman. Do, do you feel that that sense across the country or am I completely off here? No, so let let's go into it a little bit. So Lance Hurd rotated with the ones against Mississippi State, did that last week with Grambling. I'm just using LSU as an example. Whit Weeks gets his first start week three of the season. Kamarian Pimpton played a handful of snaps. Mac Markway has been a guy to step up as well. You look at LSU, Caleb Jackson, another guy that's going to start getting a lot of run, had the highlight um, run this past weekend. Ryan Yates saw the field as well. Ashton Stamps has already played. Yeah, I mean, what is that? Six or seven guys I just named? From a right? team that how many how many games did LSU win last year? Ten games. I, I just think with the NIL, with guys just moving around, like you have to play them. Because if you don't play them, there's a chance they're gonna leave. Agree. Agree. Like I, I don't maybe we need to do a deeper dive into this, but Take Alabama, for example, Caleb Downs, Caden Proctor. Like it, The days of your recruiting class kind of sitting for a year, and sure, there are programs around the country that can do it, You know, some, some developmental programs, but if you're bringing in the high-end talent, it just seems like now like they have to play. Especially the teams that are under the microscope and have expectations. It feels like that. You know, maybe if you're in the second tier of Power 5 football, you're not under the microscope. These recruitments weren't really followed to the highest degree. But the guys that are, like, in the spotlight from their junior to their senior year of high school all the way to now they have expectations as a freshman, yeah, you better find a way to get those dudes on the field or they're going to go somewhere else, to your point. All right, last honorable mentions. You can pair these guys Hold together. Hold on, real quick. Did you think that was crazy what I just said about LSU National Championship? <laughs> Who do they have this week? Arkansas at home. Okay. Give, give it me... just to me, I cannot remember the last time the SEC West was just blatantly wide open. 
And I think LSU is a team that's just they're going to get better week in and week out. Offensively, they have a super high ceiling. They got some question marks defensively. They're vulnerable there. I will give you that. But they're a team to me that if they if they put it together, that's a big if, but if they put it together, they can be scary, super scary. And part of that has to do with not just LSU. Drew, if you were to pick a national title, title winner right now, who would it be? I don't know, man. I don't. That's that, but that's my point. That's my point. When was the last time we were like, I have no idea. Georgia looks beatable. Ohio State looks okay. Michigan just does what they do. You know, I think here's the other part. USC getting better every week. Washington just beating the hell out of everybody. Oregon, we'll see. It, I have no idea. That's my point. I, I literally have no idea. All right. Plus, plus, plus 5,000 on that, by the way. Oh, is it? Get on the train. We're, we're going to get a lot of answers this weekend, in my opinion. We'll, we'll talk about that Thursday. Okay. Honorable mention, some others. I just want to pair this group together. A lot of freshman running backs did some stuff over the weekend. Darius Taylor, 138 yards for Minnesota in the loss to North Carolina. LJ Martin from BYU, two touchdowns in their win at Arkansas. Remember we highlighted him on the uh, on the Big 12 Freshman Impact podcast. Kendrick Raphael at NC State, 16 carries, 85 yards. He was a kid they pulled out of Florida. Kamari Moulton, eight carries, 50 yards, two touchdowns for Iowa against Western Michigan. Um, bringing these guys up because the point is, I think running back is still the easiest position for freshmen to get on the field. And you look at the NFL, I mean, how many different guys are, are kind of playing? It, just talking about the positional value when it comes to running backs, like just something I, I observe. And I think we're only going to see more freshman ball carriers as the uh, season progresses. Darius Taylor, man, saw that one coming. And by we, I mean the 24-7 Sports Network. I did, me, myself, did not see that one coming. But our guys over there do a great job over in Minnesota. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, Drew. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. No pun intended. Pun intended. Excuse me. Alabama quarterback situation. Jalen Milrow getting the nod this week for Ole Miss. Didn't play against South Florida. Tyler Buckner got the nod. Then it was Ty Simpson. Nick Saban, through two weeks, said he's seen the most out of Jalen Milrow. I'm paraphrasing. And then he also said that he really loved 
what Jalen Milrow showed from a leadership standpoint during the week. I'm not buying that. To me, that's a total cover-your-ass statement. Just admit it. You messed up. I, I Listen, I have no issue with you going out there and playing Tyler Buckner or Ty Simpson if you think what you got out of Jalen Milrow during Texas wasn't good enough. But I really thought he would have saw some snaps on Saturday. I, I, I thought it would have been like, listen, Jalen, you're still the guy. We're going to try to, like, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown type of situation. We'll try to get these guys some touches when we can. But, you know, and it just seems like a mess. Like, it seems like for the first time, it's like, what is going on down there? Who's calling the shots? I mean, I know who's calling the shots, but there's no, there's like a lack of conviction and confidence that is just radiating from that place. And they, oh, well, we had a players meeting. Okay. I don't know, man. It To me, it's just kind of, it's wonky. The whole thing's wonky. It It doesn't feel like, those guys are on the same page down there. And then like, all right, if Jalen Milrow's your guy, give him the best opportunity to win. Schematically, can you bend to him? Or you're going to put him out there and say, hey, run what I'm running. Like, where's the flexibility? Where's the creativity? Where is this is what we have and we got to lean into him. He's our best athlete. Do you think coming out of the Texas game, Saban still wasn't sure on Milrow, so he just wanted to give Buckner and and Simpson a chance. Like that was that was always going to be the plan. And now he's like, all right. I think that still till this day today, that perception is not reality in Tuscaloosa. And what I mean by that is that there is an inflated sense of self, inflated expectations. We got a good team. We got a good team. We got a good team. No, you don't. Drew, that game was 10 to 3. USF is not good. And you turn on that tape. Caden Proctor drinking through a fire hose, having trouble picking up second level pressures, quarterback, head scratcher, inability to run the ball. Did you see there's Caleb? some things? You see Caleb Downs get trucked. I did not see that. Uh, that was like his welcome to college football moment. Naquan right, right in the hole. I mean, just leveled him. He'll be fine. I'm just. It used to be like, hey, standards here, standards here. And there is no and, if, or buts, but we have to play to this standard. If we didn't play to this standard, then we got to get back to it. And it was this unrelenting passion and pride when it comes when you put on that script A that we're going to play to this standard every week and everything that comes with that. The effort, the discipline, all of it. They don't have that. And I get it. Coach comes out and he says, you know, I'm proud of our guys. We persevered. I get that. I want to see, like, this is not good enough. We got a good team. We got a, I, and I heard it all offseason. Alabama, national champs, Alabama, college football playoff, Alabama, 
They're so pissed. Alabama offensive line. What do you do? All you all you guys are doing is just giving these guys the benefit of the doubt because who their head coach is. And I understand that. He's the best. He's the GOAT. This team does not resemble who this program has been the last 15, 16 years. They just don't. Something's off. And there's a lack of coaching continuity within that program. There's so much turnover. You're in, you're out, you got all these new guys. I mean, with all due respect, your coordinators are Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele. That's a far cry from Lane Kiffin and Kirby Smart. Point being, the standard there is not what it used to be. That's what I think. Do you guys think this is just a case of, like, specifically with quarterbacks, Alabama just getting the wrong guys or misevaluating? Okay, so... I knew that was the question you're going to bring up. I mean, they took Milrow. Looking at it, because I went back to the 2021 cycle, I think it was a bad year for quarterbacks. And the data has kind of proven that. Remember, this was the COVID year. No campus visits. No summer camps. Coaches couldn't go out on the road. It was really weird. And from that 2021 cycle, these are the bona fide dudes. That's the category I put them. Caleb quick, Williams. Drew, this was this was Steve Sarkeesian still recruiting at this time, right? For Alabama, I think. Okay. Uh, you want to fact? No, because I just I just want to tie that into Sarkeesian to Bill O'Brien to where we are now. Okay, so these are, the, yeah. these are the certified dudes from the 2021 cycle: Caleb Williams, Drake May, who was committed to Alabama, correct? Correct. J.J. McCarthy, and Riley Leonard. I would would go certified dudes. Next category, I think right behind them, Shadur Sanders, Kyle McCord, maybe Jackson Dart, and then Jake Rubley at Kansas State. After that, I I couldn't even tell you who the next best 2021 quarterback is that is starting. Luke Altmaier, the kid at Minnesota, Sam Jackson, Preston Stone, and Schrager at Hawaii. Like, I don't think it was a good year. And I think it was the hardest year to evaluate. So Alabama went with Jalen Milrow. Like, what else were they supposed to do? I don't get that from Alabama. Get get a guy in the transfer portal? I mean, they had Bryce Young there. Like, who are they going to pull in from the transfer portal? Well, I think I think maybe transfer portal wise, the misevaluation came this past off season, right? When you have a team like Notre Dame going out there and getting Sam Hartman, for example, you know, you heard rumors and there were, well, I, I guess they did. Talk- I, I think they did try to go get Tyler Van Dyke. Well, I was just going to bring it up. It seemed like they were going hard. After, it seemed like they were going hard after Tyler Van Dyke to potentially try to get him to enter the portal for Miami. But that, that obviously didn't work out. And it seemed like they waited till the second window of the portal and we're kind of just stuck with, all right, well, Tyler Buckner is, I guess, the best one available, so let's bring him in. But, again, it was slim pickings in the transfer portal market after Hartman and pretty much anyone else. So, well, call, kind call, of, call it a miscalculation, but, I mean, this is this is all new. This isn't chartered waters. What what playbook are you going by coming into that? I mean, and... That wasn't the case five years ago where 
bona fide starters are entering the portal. It's just different now. What about Ty Simpson? I mean, typically, if you're telling me Alabama is taking a quarterback that we have within the top 32 by their redshirt freshman year, you would think they're ready to go. What's your opinion on Ty Simpson? If he can't crack the lineup with this set of quarterbacks, then I'm very discouraged. I think that's fair. Now, listen, I'm not, re- I'm not, re- I'm not ready to pull the rug out from under him, you know. So, but so, who should they have got in the 22 cycle? Well, you look at that class, right? Aller to Penn State, Klubnik to to Clemson, Wigman to A and M. There's Simpson at number four, Devin Brown, Ohio State, Walker Howard, and then it's just kind of a hodgepodge. Gunner Stockton stays in state, goes to Georgia. Nick Evers to Oklahoma, Malik Murphy to Texas. I mean, I. I agree. You know, you go down the list. A.J. Swans obviously developed into a pretty good player at Vandy. But there's nobody there that was, like, clear answer, right? The only the only name from the 21 cycle that I, I did kind of circle, Garrett Nussmeyer. What if you dropped him in at Alabama? He'd be Here's starting. the other thing. I don't think it's just a quarterback thing. We keep saying it because it is like it is. It's a huge focal point of what's wrong there, but it's not just the quarterback. They got they got other problems too. And if you're looking at Alabama saying, well, it's just the quarterback, yeah, it's a good place to start. But it's not everything. You know, I mean they got beat at home by Texas by 10 points. Well, so. I just wanted to address the what happened at quarterback question all right so let's let's look at the future here's the thing if if i'm tommy reese and nick saban we go through this experiment let's say this year looking ahead is a failure for us by alabama standards right let's say we fail to win 10 games we win nine games you got julian saying coming in who we like a lot like him more than what they took in 23 for sure right we haven't even talked about eli holstein and dylan lonergan because Which, I don't if you're think asking gonna, Andrew and I, because they ain't going to play, I don't think either of those guys are the answer, right? Julian Sane comes in 2024. You got to go to the portal. I think you got to, can you just got to remake that room? You're not going into another season of okay. what you got. Bring this full circle. Would Graham Mertz start at Alabama? 100%. 100%. For what they want to do, absolutely. If you're going to give Tyler Buckner the rock, you're telling me Graham Mertz wouldn't be a better option there? Tyler Buckner. Okay. Back to recruiting? <laughs> Can we talk about Travis Hunter's injury real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Carl Reed, your uh you guys my guy. You guys co host? Co host No, we're not co co analyst. Co analyst. Let me let me just tell you what that is like. I just sit there, listen to Carl spit hot takes, and then just react. <laughs> 
or you can find him My every God. Saturday on the uh, is it HQ or the twenty four seven Sports YouTube channel? Yeah, we'll be on uh, CBS HQ. Carl's also going off on his personal Instagram too and Twitter. You can find him okay. everywhere, man of oh, media. I'm gonna tune in this Saturday. I I, I got no travel plans, so I'm I'm tuning in. Um, he, he, I believe he broke this news that Travis Hunter is gonna miss the next three games for Colorado with a was it a lacerated liver or what was it? Laceration to yeah, that might be it. Lacerated liver. I would double. Let me double check on that before okay. we speculate. So, but go ahead. Something crazy. Um. So he's going to miss, obviously, the Oregon game this week, USC game next week. I, I don't know who they play after that. But this kind of got me me thinking, and I wish I had brought it up when we talked about Travis Hunter and are all these two-way stamps sustainable. To me, Travis Hunter's kryptonite is injuries, and that has been the case since high school. Go back to his senior year at Collins Hill there outside of Atlanta. Injured his ankle. Missed some time. Now he came back, but he didn't play a full season. And he was a two-way guy in high school as well. Go to his time at Jackson State. Initially, they just played him on defense, not offense, because he wasn't 100%. I'll never forget when I was at that uh, Orange Bowl Classic presented by Denny's at, at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, Prime basically said that Travis Hunter was playing at 60%, still had was dealing with some injuries, and now – Fast forward to this past weekend, and I know it was a cheap shot, but I think that is – you want to talk about something that's going to be discussed long-term and in, in future years. It's going to be the durability of, of, of Travis Hunter. I mean, he is a, a frail frame, and injury history, injuries keep popping up. I think it's hard for him to stay healthy. Now you, can, now, now you compound that with him playing – 100 plus snaps every week. It was 145 week one. Week two, he played 127 snaps. And then on Saturday night in the rivalry game, he played 70 snaps before getting getting injured in the in the third quarter. So I think that's someone that no one is bringing up with Travis Hunter. He has an injury history and generational talent. I mean, he is awesome, but I think that's going to be the knock on him now and i think it, when we get into the nfl evaluation process that's also going to be brought up a lot little bit of an outlier with the lacerated liver right sure. i mean i'm just saying like if it, it would be one thing if it was uh you had continual issues with like lower extremities but he is you know the other thing that you you bring up it's like that frame is not a super sturdy frame right and it got brought up with Devonte smith too but i'm i'm with you i don't think it's nothing that hit and everything that transpired after that hit, that could be its own podcast itself. And there's plenty of other people talking about that. So we're not going to bore you with all that type of stuff. Um, all right, Drew. A couple uh, of commitments rundowns here. Armando Blunt from Miami Central, wearing that number 18, to Miami. Right now, five-star in the class of 2025 for right now. What I mean by that is maybe he goes to 2024. We don't know. Heard some murmurs about that. Armando Blunt, the player, Drew, what I, till this day, one of the best combine workouts I think I've ever seen for a defensive lineman. I'm not talking about the verified testing. I'm just talking seeing a big guy move that way as efficiently and as proactive as he moved. Unbelievable. And the good thing is you turn on the tape, Miami Central this year, 
I like what I see. I wrote yesterday, kind of a bigger, longer Reuben Bain. And some of the comments crack me up. They're like, you're telling me we got a we got a Reuben Bain coming through who's a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, and a little bit more athletic? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Armando's kind of been like a legend down here in South Florida. I mean, played as an eighth grader at Fort Lauderdale, Dillard, got on the field as a freshman, 13 sacks, was injured as a sophomore, 16 sacks. And then he says, I'm going to transfer into Miami Central to take over for Ruben Bain, who who came from there. Cooper, I thought you were going to rattle off the combine numbers. What is it like? 30 inch, 30 inch vertical jump. Yeah, thirty inch uh, vertical, four seven eight. All that is like, what? What do you have? Like the six foot ten, six eleven wing. I mean, he's he is long. Everything state state champ in the shot put, AAU national champ as a fourteen year old in the shot put. Right. I said this. He would be in the top seventy to seventy five percentile on some of these athletic traits if he were in the NFL. Dude is 16. 16 years old. Hadn't even scratched the surface. So you you take into you take into account all that God-given ability. Hey, the other thing is Ruben Bain's playing on the inside, right? I know they're kind of moving him around a little bit, but God, it looks like he blew up, man. He's looking pretty big. So after he put down those combine numbers, uh the Under Armour. D-line coach, who I think is now in the NFL. He trains a bunch of NFL guys. He told me, he pulled me aside and said, Armando Blunt is the best guy I've had in a camp since Walter Nolan in terms of like the blend of power, twitch, flexibility, the desire to learn. And I, I turned on the tape from when Miami Central went to Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman. I've now watched that game twice. On the first watch, they're just trying to see the whole thing, and you're not really zeroed in on Armando. But, man, against that large athletic line, he kind of had his way. And I think what's scary about Armando is as he adds mass, he's only going to get better against the run. And he's already pretty good when it comes to to holding up traffic. So uh, monster addition for Miami. We said it on this podcast and, and pretty much everyone did. Steve Wilfong, director of recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Mario was going to use that win over Texas A&M um, to get some momentum going on the recruiting trail. And he has done just that by beating out plenty for Armando Blunt. Are you surprised where Miami is right now? I mean, it's early. Uh, I'm just saying on the field, like – what do, what do you feel about what you've seen so far? I I think the coordinator hires were, I mean, we'll see, but they seem to be the right guys. And I think what kind of sunk Miami last year is maybe Mario didn't get the right guys with Josh Gaddis and Kevin Steele. Now he's got Shannon Dawson, who seems to be letting Tyler Van Dyke be Tyler Van Dyke, and then Lance Gidry on the other side of the ball dialing it up so i think who do they have this i don't even know who they have this weekend maybe four five and oh we had bethune cookman right temple temple on the road 
right? And then Georgia Tech the following week. I Yeah, those coordinator hires, they weren't sexy. Guess what? Good football coaches. You know, it's, a, it's amazing what happens when you don't let the media get involved on that type of that type of process. Who who booked Miami going to the link? Why is Miami coming to Philly? It's an who old rivalry. Alabama going to South Florida. That well, I mean, that was weird. But at least that's both in the South. Miami's coming to Philly. I should go to that game as like our football recruiting podcast correspondent of sorts. I'm only 45 minutes away. Miami going see, to the link. That's see a much- weird game. Tickets are probably like nine dollars. That well, that stadium <laughs> is going to be approximately sixty percent Miami fans because Temple doesn't sell. All right, let's and finish out, boys. <laughs> Hour and eight minutes. We're right. Go there. Owls. Deuce Knight, 2025 quarterback, top two four seven quarterback, commits to Notre Dame. Was that Lipscomb Academy here in Nashville? I think he transferred. He played three games there. And now he's back in George County in, in Mississippi. What are we doing? Deuce Knight, six four and a half, one ninety two, four five three forty. You wouldn't know it on tape. You don't see him run a whole lot. Forty one plus inch vert. Sixty one percent passer as a junior. Almost two thousand yards passing. Eleven TDs, four INTs. Drew, I look at this one simply put, and it's like. Notre Dame can be one of those teams where it's they're going to the checkout line early. They know this is a little bit of a calculated risk, but the odds on the ticket are heavily in their favor. And if it comes back, the return on investment could just go boom. I mean, I have no idea what this kid is going to be yet. Smooth stroking lefty, got everything you want from an athletic clay standpoint, can throw the ball. You watch the tape. Super raw. I and the other part about it is plays fast, plays a little out of control. He needs reps. I'm okay with that. And the other thing is you got CJ Carr in 2024. You earn the right to take a little bit of a lottery ticket if you want. So to me, it's about just getting this guy up to speed, getting him on the field, getting him in your program, developing him, and then just slowing things down. But I'm on board. I see the vision. Yeah, I think he's the biggest boomer bust quarterback in the 25 cycle in terms of like his ceiling. Oof. Uh, but the floor is probably pretty low. I think he's a streaky player. I, I went back and watched his elite 11 workout, watched the game he had against IMG Academy Cooper. I think he were there. Like the good is really good, um, but he'll misfire. Big arm. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Spring game when he was at George County, I mean, he hit, he hit a guy in stride like 55 yards down the field. Elite athlete, like you said, also plays basketball. Not a run-first guy, but, man, he can create. I like it, but Notre, Notre Dame, like, when is the last time they went after a quarterback that isn't really polished? It, it just feels like it's going against the grain, so... Here's the thing, though. I like Kenny Minchie, too. Right. But he was he was a better passer. Well, that's my point. I think when you got two guys in the boat, it makes you feel better about... You can't do this every year, right? But once every three years, I think it makes sense. Yeah. You know? Uh, now they got to follow it up with a, 
a guy in 2026. Can't believe I'm saying that. 2026. <laughs> that is polished, refined. That they're a little bit more sure about. But I get it. I think one one in every three years you can you can take this type of liar if you want to call it that. And I thought he looked pretty good against IMG. Now they they were they didn't score, did they? They were shut out. I thought I remember he did some good things. Like, like you see he, the athleticism in yeah. the pocket. You see him extend plays. The arm flashes at times. It's just model of consistency, right? Just like needs needs seasoning for sure. Now, that being said, I mean, we've seen some good things with some guys that we considered raw and then continue to grow. I mean, he's only only a junior, right? So got Kinda some like more the, time there to develop. If you want the DJ Lagway tags, and he, he's the DJ Lagway, I think, of the 25 cycle. Tell you what, Andrew, just getting you primed. There's been times where um, you've come to me and been like, man, DJ Lagway. Now I feel like I'm coming back to you and being like, Man, DJ Lagway. And the other one's <laughs> always like, you know, talk the other one down. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, final thoughts. Producer Lance, do you got any? We got you on here, man. Big, big week. We went an hour and 12 minutes with no Rutgers talk. Lance, yeah. it's I'm going to buy week. you a cookie, I, I my mean, friend. I can't I tell you this. how much that excites me not to talk about Rutgers for that long. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this. Before or going into the season, Rutgers fans, we knew we had to be 3-0 to have a realistic shot at a bowl game. We're 3-0. We'll be 4-1 after five weeks because we have Michigan this week and then we play Wagner. So we'll be 4-1. And, and that means we need to win two more games. I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood, but after Wagner, we play Indiana and Michigan. We'll play Michigan State first at home and Indiana. There is a chance we could be bowl eligible by the end of October, knock on wood. I'm not going to jinx it. I'm not going to say it's even likely, but what I'm going to say is there's a chance that we could be bowl eligible by October. Ivan's Gator Bowl 2023. I'm coming down. <laughs> Make some room. I'm staying over. I was looking. What What are the bowl possibilities? Uh, we got Quick Lane Bowl, which is a fan favorite. Rutgers played UNC a couple years ago, a few years ago in that. Um, Pinstripe Bull Rutgers has been in it like four times. It's at Yankee Stadium. Um, I'm trying to think of any others. There's so many new bowl games now. Plus, with all these conference like alignments with it, I don't really know what the Rose Bowl is always a possibility. Okay. In the little, little Mayo Bowl. The Little Mayo. I don't even know if that's a bowl game. The Toilet Bowl <laughs> is obviously a possibility always. <laughs> little Mayo is some internet uh, I sensation. A- I think Duke's Mayo. I think the Music City Bowl. You could go Music City Bowl. There you not go. Staying so, with yeah, me. Iowa was in there not last year. That has me. a Big Ten coop. I'm staying over. We're golfing <laughs> again. Um, yeah, all these all these bowl opportunities, all these bowl options are really getting my juices flowing. So all right. What is the uh before we get out of here, what's the line on the Michigan Rutgers game? It started at Michigan 31 and a half, which I oh, thought there's no smokes. way. Not because I think Rutgers is gonna put up a huge fight, but like Michigan hasn't scored more than like 35 points a game and Rutgers defense is actually pretty good. When, um, did, when did that line start? It's now down to like 27, I think. Are you or 26? Yeah. Dude, smashing the Rutgers there. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not saying to, if you got in at Michigan, if you got in Rutgers plus 31 and a half, good for you. I'm not saying that because I think Rutgers are going to like come back and win this or like, you know, make it lose by three or by seven. But like, 
Michigan's put up 30, 31, and 35. And Rutgers defense is pretty good. Say so, with your chest, Lance. You're confident going into this I game. You think it's I, I, I don't think Rutgers is going to be a four-quarter game. I don't think Rutgers is going to win, but I don't think they'll lose by 32 points. I'm Coach Urban Meyer. Coach Urban Meyer says Rutgers looks like a completely different team this year. They do. Giano's got a bunch of guys bought in, playing fast. I'm all about it. Buy stock. Chop it up. Let's go. All right, guys, for Andrew Ivins, producer Lance Glenn, we appreciate you listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Also, leave a review. If you have a question, mailbag episode is tomorrow. Get those questions in. Now is the time to do it. And we'll see you on Wednesday, September 20th. That is Pup Day. All right, guys, I'm Cooper Patagna. See you tomorrow. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.